0: In my opinion, there are not enough food museums, so I get excited whenever a new one is being planned. Listen to Lee Copeland, of the Technical College of the Low Country, talk about the food museum set to open in 2022. It's on tip of the tongue. Tip of the Tongue, a podcast on the Nitty Grits Network, where we explore the intersection of food and drink and museums. This is Liz Williams. We're here today with Lee Copeland. She is Assistant Vice President for Marketing and Public Relations for the Technical College of the Low Country in South Carolina. She is here to talk to us today about a new food museum, which I'm very excited about called the Food Foodzeum. It's being opened very soon in Bluffton,
1: South Carolina. Welcome, Lee. Hello, Liz. It's so nice to be here today with you. Um, so excited to have this partnership and I look forward to talking with you more about the Food Foodzeum. So why don't you tell
0: me a little bit about the Technical College of the Low Country,
1: and how you came to decide to open the FoodZium. Sure. So uh, the Technical College of the Low Country's main campus is in Beaufort, South Carolina, and we also have campuses in Bluffton and Hampton, South Carolina. So the Low Country, as we call it, is right smack dab between Savannah, Georgia, and Charleston, South Carolina. And so if you're as Probably most of your listeners are, if you're familiar with Southern food, those are two pinnacle um, cities in in Southern food history and culture. And so we, the college, it's been about five years in the making, but we are getting ready to open a brand new culinary institute in Bluffton. And it's a 30,000 square foot facility that will teach culinary arts, baking and pastry and hospitality and offer college degrees on those pathways. And as we were planning for this Culinary Institute, we just kept thinking about how much history and culture surrounded us. And our Culinary Institute is all locally funded. So although we are a member of the state technical college system, our Culinary Institute was actually funded by our local counties and entities. And so we really felt like there was a unique opportunity to make sure that the Culinary Institute um, had something for everyone in our community. So not just those who wanted to study culinary arts as a career pathway, but just wanted to learn more about food and its history and where it comes from. So that led us to this idea of an interpretive center and it's sort of grown from there and we have branded it the Zeum but it will be dedicated to telling the story of Southern food. So I think that's really a unique
0: idea for a school to be doing this, especially um, one that has governmental ties and isn't just a private institution. Did you have any obstacles or anything like that to overcome with the idea?
1: Well, I think even internally for a bit, um, you know, this is a new concept, as you said. And so I think when we look back at, at the, the root reason why we wanted to do it was to educate the community. And if we can remember that, it really does tie to the mission of the technical college, which is to elevate our communities through education. So keeping that as the focus, then I really do think it makes a lot of sense for us to house this facility. And we've said from day one, our industry here, much probably like where you are, is very hospitality oriented. And so it is the backbone of our economy. And so we know that we have to make sure that we're preserving that economic engine, growing that, and really making sure that it's the best it can be. So that's again that's the main focus of the Culinary Institute, but we also had a unique opportunity to elevate the perception of the culinary arts within the minds of the community and visitors, because we are hospitality oriented. We get you know, tourism is a major part of that economic engine, and so. Uh, thinking and and kind of mulling over this unique opportunity is how we we came up with this idea. It just extends our potential reach and gives us a, a really unique platform to educate the community and visitors alike. It also seems to
0: be an opportunity to basically tell your story so that people who are eating the food in your region, because they're physically there, will get to learn about it, not just eat it, which is, of course, fun, (laughs) but (laughs) they'll also get to learn about it and and know what they're eating. So they'll actually be educated tourists.
1: Yes. And I think that that's so important. Part of the reason we want to educate is to preserve that history and that story. We want to move forward, of course, but it's so important to know where your food food comes from, and I have already learned so much in the process, just so eye-opening about the different cultural influences, the different influences of the people, and the agriculture, and how it all works together to create this food that we all love. So I think it's, it's so important, and, and everyone enjoys a good meal, and we know that food tourism, as, as you probably don't do, is, is topping the list nowadays. So using, again, that opportunity to educate is all about what we wanna do here.
0: You know, I really think that with the rise of the interest in food that we've had, say, just even measuring it by something very popular like the Food Network, there's just been so much more interest in in food than there has been previously. That it's really kind of natural, I think, for there to be people thinking about opening museums about food because, you know, that's really not been a normal kind of museum. Most communities have art museums and everyone knows what an art museum is, but not everybody knows what a food museum might be. And so I think that that's also kind of on the new cutting edge of where museums are going.
1: Yes, I I agree, and I think that that's what we're learning and and our preparations for this this food museum. There aren't a lot out there, and so that's how we, of course, discovered you, but I do think that, as you said, the Food Network has brought a lot of awareness to to food, and I think coming out of COVID-19, I mean, we all got to spend a little bit more time around our own tables and has also brought... I think uh, a new interest in in even cooking and preparing food.
0: Yes. And even learning where it's from, because I mean, uh, aside from toilet paper shortages in the very beginning (laughs) of COVID, I I do think that we're seeing that there also are times when certain things are not as available as they used to be. And so just knowing about your food and knowing where it comes from,
1: actually is good for all of us. It spurred a lot of those conversations, and I know myself something that my family did to kind of pass the time was we, we planted our own little garden, and I'm hearing that a lot of people started doing that. And and really, before that, I had very little exposure to, to growing my own food, much less my children. But really, I'm only you know one or two generations removed from from farming. I mean, my grandfather had a farm, and You know, I think that that's my personal connection to this project is I remember when I was a young girl visiting them and I would go up during the summers and they would be preparing, canning, freezing, all of their bounty. I had no interest. I didn't want to do anything with that. (laughs) And if I could go back, I would have written down everything they did. I would have, you know, followed every word and technique. And so for me that's what kind of brought the project to a personal level was because I think that there is a need for that, for us to capture um, th- those procedures, the, the pr- preservation methods, because we're getting you know, generations removed from, from you know, the people who did it. So we want to preserve those methods in those ways.
0: And so did your children really enjoy getting into this?
1: Oh my goodness. They just loved it. I mean, it was something, I think it's so fulfilling and that's what we're learning is that you can start with a seed and then you can eat from it, you know, for weeks and months. And they took pride in it. It took time. I mean, that's another thing. I think that we were all more appreciative of the food that we were able to grow. We weren't successful every time and everything, but (laughs) we certainly had plenty of green peppers I think our parsley did really well, and then we had lots of different tomatoes, and so it just, I think it tasted better right from the garden. Oh,
0: yes, and I think children are much more willing to try something new if they've grown it or had some aspect of growing it. Absolutely. Because, goodness, why not? They did it, you know? <laughs> So uh, this enthusiasm then that we're talking about and this sense of, of new exploration, are you trying to, in the Foodzeum, have something that will be uh, a changing all the time so that people from the community can come back again and again because it's something something new to learn? Or is it much more static than that thinking that most tourists are there just once, and so you don't need to change it every time?
1: I think it's both. You know, you've been involved with the project and seen it, but for your listeners, we have a small space because we are fitting it within our larger culinary institute, so the the food museum is, I like to say, small but mighty, and so it's only about a thousand square feet so we are trying to break it up into different exhibit areas that will definitely, most of it will be static in the sense that they'll remain. But we are trying to work into flexible spaces so that we can highlight the different topics, different foods, different people as they kind of come up. Because we know that there's no way we can fit the entire story in 1,000 square feet. And so many different aspects of the story deserve so much more attention than we can probably give them. So we're excited about having some flexible space so we can rotate through some of those stories. And then just like you all do with SOFAB, we're looking at really expanding the physical space of the museum through the programming we offer. And I think that that is really a unique advantage we have since we are a culinary school. We'll just have unlimited opportunities in terms of programming that will really help bring to life the stories, the food that you see in the food museum, and just give it even more importance and more opportunity for details and, and to get people involved. So that's our approach, and we're excited to see how that shapes out over the next few years.
0: One of the things that I think is a wonderful opportunity is the opportunity to engage your students because most culinary schools don't have something like this. And this will give them an opportunity to learn about the history um, of the food that they maybe grew up with and that they eat all the time and see all around them as well as learn about other regions and how the food developed in those areas too, and how they're actually a part of that tradition in a way that I think is unusual for a Culinary
1: Institute. Yes, and we are already seeing so much interest from our students and prospective students about the museum in particular. And I think it's for reasons you just said. I mean, I think that what we're finding out, and, and you know, I'm like this too, is we have so many people who don't know exactly how, how did shrimp and grits come to be? How did okra become a staple in so many Southern dishes? And so there is an excitement there that's so encouraging from the students. And I think that we're going to definitely get them involved in a number of ways, whether it's through that programming we mentioned, or even being docents. And then we also plan, one of our exhibits, we plan to highlight one of our lead students as future chefs, and they can prepare their own uh, food and stories. And then we'll have recipes from that that student chef to share with our visitors. So it's just so exciting to see the energy around that. I think it just rounds out the curriculum in such a nice way. We know that students where they go to school, they tend to stay and work. And so we're hoping that these students will stay local and again, kind of give back to that hospitality and tourism economy. And so it really is a full full circle.
0: And another group that seems to me to be a natural fit to support the uh, Foodseum is the restaurant community because not only can their own workers learn about things to talk to their patrons about, but you can have the chefs who maybe don't have the background in the history. I mean, they have the background in the technical skills to produce the food and the background in the flavor profiles and whatever, but to also know the history will actually expand their ability to be creative in the kitchen and still be within the canon of the local food.
1: Absolutely, and we've, from day one, the reason why we're building the Culinary Institute of the South um, here in Bluffton is because of the industry. The industry has, has just repeatedly asked for our help in a number of ways. We all know everyone needs workers, hospitality industry in particular, Needs workers. And then there's also this idea, too, that through education, we're going to be creating master chefs that will then in turn elevate the culinary community. And alongside that, I think they are just so excited about the integration with the history and the culture. We know that's why people visit our area. It's for the beaches it's for food and it's for the history. And so really having something that kind of can meld all of those things is, is a really unique opportunity And our industry, our restaurants, our chefs have been integrally involved from the beginning and are super excited about the food team and all of the possibilities coming from it as well.
0: I, I just think that it's a, it's a wonderful an absolutely wonderful opportunity. And then finally, when you're finished and you're open, you'll be able to also interact with other food museums in the country. And I think that that's also really wonderful because then for people who are travelers who are, always looking, because culinary travelers are a growing area of tourism, they'll be able to find you, they'll be able to go to food museums in other places, and I think the idea of going to a food museum is becoming something that people actually look forward to in order to um, actually orient themselves to the place where they are. It becomes their gateway into wherever they are, because food is so very basic.
1: Yes, it's something we can all relate to. And I think that that's, that's why it's such an intriguing subject. And I think that there's always when when we're consuming food, there's the sense of community. And I think that that's what happens when people visit our restaurants we hope that what you're saying we hope that they feel a part of the community and so i think the food museum will go far in helping make that a reality we're so excited to be part of that that food museum network which i'm learning so much about but just to be the new kid on the block is exciting and we're so appreciative appreciative of the guidance you're giving us one of the
0: things that I think has happened to us at the Southern Food and Beverage Museum is that the, the, the tourism industry, as they come to the city, come to visit us right at the very beginning of their visit. So that those people, like journal, you know, food journalists or travel journalists or people like that, they actually want to. Learn about the food first before they start eating it so that they can have a critical eye. And I don't mean a critical eye in the, in the sense of making a judgment, but a critical eye in the sense of understanding what they're eating and where it came from so that they can write better articles. And I think that's been something that we were surprised at that people come to us right at the beginning and say, where should I go and find this? After they've, you know, seen what what there is to see, and you probably are going to find that that happens that happens to you too. That once you're established and you're open, tourism folks, journalists, and and such are going to want your insight to help them learn to navigate the food that's in the area.
1: That that makes sense. That's an interesting component. But when I think about um our main campus here is located in Beaufort, South Carolina. And I think about our little Beaufort History Museum and that's part of the visitor center. And so I think that people you know, in smaller towns and smaller areas are kind of accustomed to, oh, let me get the lay of the land. I might check out the visitor center. I might go to whatever kind of local museums they have. And it is such a great way to orient yourself to the community you're in. So I can definitely see how that may happen, especially with the the food journalists wanting to orient themselves before they begin that journey. Right,
0: because you don't want to go afterwards because I mean, you know, it's like too late by that time. Right. I mean, it may answer some questions or something, but if you if you get the orientation first, I think it's it's usually more helpful. And another thing that I think is also happening is that other museums, museums that are of general interest like history museums or um, about certain industries in in different places that have a specific industry that kind of runs their, their, their town or whatever, those places are starting to add food and things to do with food to their museums, even even art museums are starting to recognize that things like China or silver or other sorts of things like that, that might be considered decorative arts, not only can be beautiful in and of themselves, which is normally the way an art museum looks at them, but the way they were used and evolved is something that people want to know about not everybody is just limiting their eyes to aesthetics but they want to have a context for them and I, I think that is also something that you may wind up influencing even without
1: thinking of it beforehand that's exciting and i hope i hope that we do i i think we'll influence each other when we're designing and thinking about our own plans for the food museum we we're looking at what other museums were doing. And so I, I do hope that we find inspiration from one another. And it, it's all about uh, connections and community. And so food is definitely central to that. Another thing that I think is really something that
0: you will find is that in any kind of food museum, there's a little bit more looseness about eating and drinking in the museum space, because <laughs> that's what you're about, you know, And, uh, and in so many museums, you've probably gone to weddings and such in various museums or some kind of reception there. And you can't do this here and you can't have that. And all the kinds of limitations that you might have don't often
1: apply in a food museum. I think that we've talked about that in the design too. I mean, we're designing it to be a comfortable space. We want people to feel relaxed because think about the best meals you've had. It is comfortable, you know, you, you felt a, a sense of peace in a way, you know, and so we are designing it in that what's central to our exhibit is a large farm table, and so we're having some local builders guild actually constructing that for us, which is so cool the community's doing it, but it's at the heart. It's at the center of our food museum because it represents what we're all about you know, we all come around a table together. Food unites us all. And so we're hopeful that, yes, there's going to be actual food in our museum. We're right next door to our teaching restaurant. And so, you know, we're going to expand that experience, whether there's food in our museum or right next door in our restaurant, there will be food. And I think it's going to be exciting. And so Yes, it will definitely have, I think, a a different vibe than maybe an art museum. But absolutely, um, we'll welcome food of all kinds.
0: I I think that that is what is so really very, very exciting. So do you have plans now, like a schedule where I realize you probably don't have an opening day yet, but do you have a schedule for when we can all anticipate this being open? Yes,
1: well, the Culinary Institute itself is opening its doors in the next month. So we're having our grand opening here in Bluffton in November.
0: So that's, then, the, that's the Culinary Institute of the South.
1: That's correct. So that will be opening and the Foodseum space is going to be outfitted with some sort of coming soon wall wraps and that sort of thing as we begin to finalize our exhibits and the content. We are having conversation with lots of content experts that will help us define and articulate the content, which is going to be critically important, as you know, for any food museum. So that's that's the stage we're currently in. And then we expect to fabricate and install in early 2022. And our goal is to be open by the summer of 2022. So it's right around the corner and hopefully we'll be open for peak tourism season, but go ahead and think about it as you all are planning travel for 2022. I hope you put it on your list.
0: Well, I just can't wait till it all happens. I think it's just such a wonderful, wonderful idea. And I really hope that it's just one more thing that lets people realize how important our food really is. I think the more we actually learn about our food systems and our food history, the more we realize how connected we all are. And I think that's one of the most important things that food does. It connects us all.
1: Exactly. Couldn't say it any
0: better, Liz. (laughs) So thanks so much, Lee, for your time today. I hope that everybody starts to make their trips out to Bluffton plans so that they can be around when the food museum opens. And I just think that it's so insightful and so remarkable that the Culinary Institute of the South is going to have this component, which is not only going to be great for the public, but also to enrich the students who are studying there.
1: Yes. When we, again, we appreciate your partnership. I am trying to work in my calendar, a visit to you all in New Orleans so that I can, can experience what you have done there. Um, so we're so excited and, and thank you for your time today and thank you for your support. Uh, we know that it's going to be a great partnership as well. I'm excited. I'm excited. Thanks a lot. Bye bye. All right. Thanks, Liz.
0: Thanks for listening to Tip of the Tongue. We come to you from the Camellia Bean Studio at the Southern Food and Beverage Museum in New Orleans, part of the Nitty Grits Network. For more information on today's podcast, join the Tip of the Tongue podcast group on Facebook. Please come by when you're in New Orleans and don't forget to subscribe to our podcast, wherever you listen to podcasts. If you like it, let us know in the comments. This is Liz Williams.